All right, here it is. This is the hardest part. Probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Public proclamation. I'm done living the faith that I've lived for almost 50 years now. And I'm telling you, once I came to this conclusion, I became the freest man on this planet. And let me tell you what I mean. I'm done with Paul. I'm done with disconnected dots or dots connected with dashes instead of solid lines. And that's much of Christianity. And here's where I'm at. Now I'm at a place where I was when I was a seven-year-old and didn't have any information. There's a tractor beam pulling my heart somewhere. I believe it's the God who created me, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I just want to get home. I'm done with churches, lighthouses, who in theory are supposed to attract people into a family. And then being sick to my stomach about moving to another place and finding another church because I know damn well it ain't going to be the same church family that, I was, that, I, that I've been in the last 10 years here. And it, why? It's the same damn family. It's not going to be. You've got to get used to a whole new culture. You've got to get used to a couple of doctrinal changes. Ah, you know, we're all going to heaven. It's just a couple of doctrinal changes, nothing to fight about. But we live in the day-to-day, my friends, We don't live in the ether yet. Judaism has at least practical day-to-day answers for things. We might think they're nutty. We might think they're overblown or strict. But at least they've dealt with that part of their faith, the faith that Jesus had, by the way. I can't stand at church anymore and say, what the hell is going on? Oh, you know, it just happens. We're getting older. People are dying faster. Hmm. Okay. I get it, because death isn't the end of the game. I know that. But we'll tolerate all kinds of other things. Woundings, you know, rifts, crazy, nutty, freaking policies that we say are helping people in scriptural ways when we're just enabling people. Using scripture. I'm done with throwing scripture at things. Scripture doesn't want to be thrown at things. In fact, I think once you read scripture, get an idea of who God is, scriptures want you to be done with them. Well, Jesus used them all the time. Yeah, Jesus had to use them all the time because all the scriptures that existed were being screwed up by the leaders charged with keeping the scriptures. That was a necessity there. Well, then he died, spilled his blood, and it really didn't matter because everybody was redeemed if you chose to walk in it. And it really is that simple. That's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to have Paul recruit people into Judaism with, you know, a few exceptions. Like, they, they don't have to be circumcised or eat, you know, or keep cash root. And that was very generous of him. Except for the fact that Paul missed the whole point. Jesus didn't want people recruited into a religion. He wanted them to know who he was and who God was, his father. That was his purpose. And then he made the way, much like he did in Egypt, when he left blood on the doorposts, while God was leading them out of Egypt. It's a two-man job. God says what his job was. His job was leading them out of Egypt. It's what makes God, God to us from our perspective. It's what he wants us to know about him. Jesus has a description. It sounds like this. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and he opened not his mouth. Well, that's a lamb and that's blood. And his blood on the doorpost in Egypt, because he lives outside of time and space, so he can be there too. Open the gates so that the people could come out and God lead them out. Two people. 
And when you try and combine them together, you dilute and offend the delicacy of that relationship between those two, a father and a son. And one of the things Jesus did when he came down was to model sonship and fatherhood. Sonship by example, fatherhood by listening to the prayers. How many times did Jesus pray to God? And how did we get those? It means one of the disciples were eavesdropping. I mean, let's just take this all the way down. Could you go to heaven if, there, if you didn't have a Bible to read? Yes, you could. In fact, you could say, someone could have an easier time of it. I'm going to tell you why this happens. I'm going to tell you why. It's in scripture, young man, don't you dare touch it. Scripture you're reading in English and hoping you're not at the mercy of the books. You're, at the mer- you're not even at the mercy of the authors. You're at the mercy of the translators and then the interpreters. That's where you're reading. You're not reading the Bible as it was known. You can get into the whole Septuagint versus Masoretic text things, and you know what? That all makes me want to vomit. And if that's your field of expertise, I'm going to be honest with you, you've just wasted 30 years of your life. For what? The same reason Christian doctrine exists, to make you feel right and to keep numbers. There is no other reason why we jump through the hoops of doctrine And it's Paul that makes a big deal about doctrine. It's not Jesus. Jesus spends an awful lot of time upending doctrine. And if he doesn't upend it, he explains why you screwed it up. Even though the doctrine may be sound. It's Paul that goes off on harps about doctrine. And look at the guys who use Paul's letters. They hammer doctrine. They sick Timothy and Titus on you. You got to answer the elders and don't you dare sit up and stand up in church, woman. None of us have gone through what Job's been through. It's why the story's in the Bible, whether it's actually true or just a narrative. It's the reason it's there. This is a book of, look at all the shit other people have gone through. Why are you complaining? Or look at all the amazing things God has done to bless these people. Why are you still in lack? It's a check. Let me tell you what faith is. Faith is reading what's in these books and taking a step off the edge of the earth and hoping he'll catch you. That's faith. Faith is reading Nietzsche and and really having my eyes open quite a bit, hoping that the spirit will protect your heart and not leave a foothold for the devil. Well, the devil didn't come anywhere near me. I read the whole damn thing. In fact, I read the Book of Shadows and anything Anton LaVey wrote, they were all stupid, whining, humanistic complaints. But they didn't turn my stomach. They were just inert. Nothing bad happened to me except for one thing. I know a hell of a lot more about evil, darkness, and desperation than you do, apparently. I want off this rock and I want the people that I love to go with me. Is that such a horrible thing to want? Well, guess what? I could have my nose in this book every single day and I wouldn't learn a damn thing from it. Unless the Holy Spirit leads me into all truth. And guess what? The Holy Spirit's leading you into all truth when you ride the bus and listen to a conversation. The difference is you can speak back into their lives and develop quite an amazing relationship with somebody. But you can't do it with a book which is why God didn't want the damn thing written. And he didn't want temples built. And he didn't want Israel to have a king. But God condescends. So don't you dare call him an unfair God. Listen to me, you guys. This is what you have to grapple with if you want to be honest about being a Christian. If it all got taken away from you, would you still believe in something outside of yourself? And the truth of the matter is, people keep talking about these natives that live in the Amazon and haven't heard of Jesus yet they might be a lot closer to heaven than you are. It's truth. Deal with it. Trying to answer questions with scriptures 
that have been applied to so many situations, many of which run counter to the situation you're in. Guys, no skin off God's nose. He'll sit there and wait for you to come back home. You're wasting your time. And you might be wasting the time into people listening to you. I used to get hammered. Well, you know, you give good advice, but you know, I don't hear any scripture in there. Well, that's probably why it's good advice, to tell you the truth. Because common sense rules the day, even in God's economy. Jesus made sure of that. I want to hear a translation where Jesus actually says, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life, because you know he said it a lot. And a lot of the verses we read and misinterpret are just that. Why would I help you? You can't even help your... Are you kidding me? Well, to be able to walk, you have to get up off the ground. That's how Jesus sees it. But then he will have people cut a hole in a roof, lower a bed down so that he can heal a guy. Everybody see it. I don't know. It's just, it's Jesus' whims. That's what he's entitled to them. He's the prince of the king of the universe. He's called king of kings because there are earthly kings. But there is a king of king of kings and Jesus knows exactly who that is. He prayed to him every day, sometimes several times a day, to the annoyance of the disciples. Here, Peter, feed this bread and fish to those people. I got to go to the boat and pray. I, what if we run out? Well, I don't know, I'll put a little magic blessing on it. There you go. Good to go. And they go find him sleep, sleeping. There's a storm coming. Oh, my God. You know, we're Galilean fishermen. It's not like we haven't seen a storm on this damn lake. They come all the time. And for now they freak out. And Jesus is sleeping. Jesus is chill. And you know what, my friends who are worried about your hearts and your eternal homes? He's chill about you. He's not chill about people stacking requirements on his people. That much is plain as day in the Bible you used to cut up and kill people with. The woman who was being stoned was an actual prostitute, punishable by death. He scares the men away because they're just as screwy as she is. And he says, hey, if you don't like people throwing rocks at you, here's a tip. Don't do things that bring people with rocks out. Have a nice day. I'll meet you at the well for a drink later. You can bring your five husbands. That's Jesus about you. So why are you worried? He did the redemption. He made damn good and sure he did it so that you wouldn't do it. Well, we had enough sense to not bastardize the word redemption, but we did do a number on the word salvation, which means nothing like what redemption means. And first thing we ask somebody we care about, care about enough to lead to Jesus is, are you saved? I almost wish that God would give non-believers a defense mechanism from Christians sometimes, a way to look into their heart when someone says, are you saved? Are you covered with the blood of Jesus? They could momentarily look in your heart and say, I'm not, but neither are you. So send someone else to talk to me. And I, it would save them a lot of heartache, to tell you the truth. I say this as one of the guys who was manhandled into witnessing to a friend at school. Only the, the youth leader didn't know he's a friend at school in order for me to go to Mexico to be a missionary and save people's souls, where his name is Robert St. John. So I walk up to Robert St. John, and he, and he notices that one of the youth leaders assigned to me by the youth leader to make sure I didn't screw around and go smoke. And so he looks at me, and he answers all the questions. Yes, yes, I would like to accept Jesus. And he prays with me. And great, you know, I get the points. I get to do what I'm you know, supposed to do. And... I go to school the next day, and he comes up to me and goes, man, that guy was hardcore. Do you go to that guy at church? Yeah. He's like, man, I, I, it broke my heart. 
I was like, whatever it is you got to do, you got to sell Girl Scout cookies or whatever to go to Mexico. Okay, I'll, I'll do it for you. That guy looked at me who was charged with going and making sure his soul was saved, actually saved me. I mean, if he was not a Christian. He's still not a Christian. He said, if Mexico or whatever it is you were going to is important to you, I wanted to make sure you could see. He knew what was happening because there was a, quite a few of us in the park that day. We were from Park in Spokane. Now, I don't fault the, you know, my youth pastor or anybody for this stuff. It was a curriculum. It was an, it was an oversight thing. You must get in a certain amount of pilot hours before you fly the plane. Okay. Well, it seems very practical. It doesn't make it look of spiritual sense, but that one is practical. Robert St. John. He reaches right in and says, no, but I can give you some of the love of Jesus that you're looking for right now. And he did. And you know what, my friends? That's a gospel story. And the Bible had nothing to do with that. In fact, it had something to do with the stress and the anxiety, the expectation, the fear I had of presenting the gospel. Well, John, you shouldn't be afraid. It says if you're ashamed of, you know, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. Well, if that's true, and if Jesus expected me to do that, he should have made it a little easier and more clear to explain to people what they're doing. But not even the world's most schooled Christian can explain why someone would give their life to Jesus. Seriously, let's get real about why we do it. We want to live in a better place forever. Bottom line. And if you say, oh, I just fall in love with Jesus, you're full of shit. You can't fall in love with an invisible being. He has to earn that with you. And he's not even presenting himself to you yet. He knows this which is why he brings people into your lives. It's like getting to know and love people is a warm-up to getting to know and love Jesus. Just stop lying to yourself. You don't, you're not in love with an invisible being. You are in hope of an invisible being. When God says, love him with all your heart, mind, and soul, love is an action in that, in that context. It's act like you love me. But we're talking, the people who say, oh, I love Jesus, they're getting the gushy feelings that they have when they hold their little infant child in their hands. Oh, I just, I'm so in love. Okay, well, you probably are in love with that child. You may even be in love with your husband. But you ain't in love with Jesus yet. You're in hope with Jesus. Be honest. God requires it of you. It's in that contract. He will deal with honesty. He will not deal with deceit. And deceit includes the deceit we engage ourselves in, the lies we tell ourselves. I'm in love with who I hope Jesus is. And the evidence points there. But I cannot tell you I'm in love with Jesus because I don't act like it very often. And that, my friends, is the only honest answer. Stop with the other shit. And I'm telling you, it, it is heartbreaking because in my mind, I see millions of brains, well, two billion brains, spinning going, oh my God. The Bible's going to be gone? Uh, uh, what will I be when the Bible's gone? Well, you might be free. Now, knowing God like I do, he'll probably give the damn thing back to you when you learn your lesson. And that is a pattern in that Bible. But we don't, we don't see it. Everybody's freaking out because J.J. might take the Bible away from them. And we might be left with just the book of J.J., which is really my diabolical plan, if I'm honest. The truth of the matter is the book is an introduction if you must have one. Well, I'll tell you who it is. Jesus is that still small voice that's been hovering around your heart since you entered earth through the birth canal. Say hello. Well, I might be talking to the great spirit or Allah, you know, which is much, much worse. Well, it's not much worse than some of the doctrines we're teaching. 
you really couldn't be better off. And I feel no fear or condemnation or guilt about anything that I, that you've heard on this podcast, not one damn thing. Just know that and hear it and feel the weight of it. The book of JJ spoken and you have a book. Don't be mad at me just because mine's speaking because yours should be too. If we had more of that and less scooping little shovelfuls of scripture and throwing them around and hoping they stick somewhere. And what did Jesus come to dismantle, if not tradition? Not the idea of tradition. We need that. It's unifying. The ones that are too convenient enough for one group at the expense of the larger group. That's what Jesus came to undo. Well, my brother and sister Christians, that's what we've been doing. So but everyone's so excited about him coming back. If we've been doing the same thing the Jewish leaders were doing, I don't know if they, I'm even a little nervous about Jesus coming back. I'm going to be on the right side because I don't want to get the smack down. And that's been the pattern. I mean, Peter, James, and John had lots of experience with Jesus. They were still getting smacked down till the very end. Paul has no such contact with Jesus. And in my mind, that makes him unqualified. He can talk like everybody else can talk and I can listen or not listen. But he doesn't get exalted to the staff, exalted, as if the disciples would tolerate being exalted by Christians. But we do it. But Paul, we make a freaking, we don't make Paul a saint, actually. Paul becomes right, goes right up to demigod status, if not right up to God status. All of Paul's words stand. And all of Paul's words have done damage. Because Paul makes his words very, very suitable to weapon craft. I used to say, you know, it's Paul had a very hard job explaining a story-driven culture to a linear-driven culture like Greece, where everything's compartmentalized. It's, it's impossible. I admire the guy for trying, but boy, did he screw it up. It's, it's, it's not necessarily clear, but the evidence, the evidence against the evidence I'm about to present is nil. But here's the evidence that exists that I'm right about this. The Council of Jerusalem, that is, those made up of the disciples of Jesus did not like Paul, and they refused to work with him. Right after he just told all these churches that they were a bunch of jerks. But I, Paul, am going to make things right because I am the superior. So I'm going to take a love offering to them, and they'll be like, oh, thank you, because Jerusalem was in dire straits with, with money. I mean, there was a lot of people being killed there, some of the disciples, and Paul would be next soon, but he didn't know this. So he delivers this money thinking, ah, here we go. I'm, I'm going to give by example, I am the great unifier. Here's your money. We don't hear shit about whether they accepted it. Now, there's lots of scholars smarter than me that say, oh, if they would have accepted it, we wouldn't have heard about it. But if he did accept it, we would have heard about it. We wouldn't have heard about it if they did accept it. I mean, are you seriously playing that game with me right now? That's, that's the information we have. That's like saying, today in Seattle, it could rain, it could be sunny, it could be partly cloudy, and it could be windy. Mm -hmm. That's what you're doing. No. If they accept the money, Paul won't shut up about being right. But Paul doesn't get to brag. Why? Because they don't take his stinking offering. Why? Because they disapprove of his mission. And that's a possibility on the table. You can't dismiss that possibility because they don't connect with him. There's never the two shall meet after that. Paul does nutty shit over here and the disciples, well, they're busy getting killed. And then John ends up, I don't know if the church fathers are right. Really, I'm suspect of the church fathers. But if they tried to boil John in oil and he didn't live, I think that's a cool trick. So they just send him to an island of Patmos. That's not how the Romans work in my experience. 
I mean, if it did, if the oil didn't work, they shit their pants first, and then they get the cross out again. I mean, because that does work. There's so much of this that is just shoehorn. This is a book of shoehorns. And if you want my honest opinion why I believe God has me saying this, it's because he's getting a little bit pissed about it. It used to be trivial to him, and now it's really annoying. And I don't want to take God past annoying. I've been there. You can do what you want. It's fine with me. I, I believe those who said a sinner's prayer, even though that's not the requirement, you said a sinner's prayer, that shows me you're serious about it. It shows God you're serious about it. Are you going to walk in it? That's up to you. I believe you're walking in it. I think we'll talk about this in heaven. That's how unconcerned I am about that. But if you want to continue answering questions on this earth for other people, you need to stop cutting scriptures out. At least do them the honor of cutting out the chapter. Can you at least do that? Uh, and that's the book of JJ right now. Um, we're going to start the breakdown of the Jesus is God. Man, there's so many words going through my head. I was going to say farce, but I can't. Because I don't necessarily believe it's a farce. I don't know if it's a farce. Dilemma. Jesus is God dilemma. We're going to go through it methodically because I know that those of you out here who got, they need it. You show me the scriptures and I'll bite. Oh, that's a load of shit. I show you half a dozen scriptures. You're pulling out half a dozen of yours and we're going to war. That's the pattern. Nope, I don't think God's okay with that. I don't think he has any use for the book that does it. Unfortunately, there's some really great stories about him, and they're true stories. And if that's not there, the only thing he has left to do is the Holy Spirit leading him to all truth. And while the Holy Spirit's a very effective speaker, we're not very effective listeners. And that's the book of JJ for now.